Well, good morning, everybody. Can we clap again unto the Lord this morning as you go ahead and have a seat? Good to see you. So glad that you are here in our early service this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you will. You can go ahead and start turning with me to the book of Colossians. While you're turning in your Bibles, I just want to welcome so many of you back. Many of you were gone. You had a great spring break, and now you're back. It's good to see you in our early service. I also would like to just uh, extend a special welcome to a guest that we have from the other side of the world. We have a, a young lady who is here visiting with us today from Iran. She's going to uh, be here for about six months in our country. And uh, her name is, and I'm going to take a stab at this, I believe it's Marja. Is that right? Okay. And uh, But would you guys make her feel welcome today? We are very delighted to have her with us today. And, uh, and, and so there's no excuse for not coming across town, okay? She's come all the way from the other side of the world to be with us here at Eagles View Church. We are in the middle of a brand new series that we uh, started just two weeks ago, a series called Rooted. And we've been taking a journey through a letter, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church, a brand new church called Colossae. And uh, this book that we're looking at is we're going to study through this book. This book is called Colossians. You can go ahead if you haven't started turning in your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Colossians. We're going to be working through this book over the next several weeks and what we're doing is we're working through this letter. This is one of Paul's prison letters. It's while Paul was, was imprisoned for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and he's in, in prison in Rome. And he's going to write to this group of believers in Colossae. And uh, now what we established in the first couple of weeks was Paul never even had met these believers. This is a neat thing, okay? Paul had never personally met these believers what Paul had done is he had shared the gospel with people in Ephesus, in the region of Ephesus. And there was a man named Epaphras who came and he heard the name of Jesus being preached and he trusted Christ as his Savior. And then he did what Paul told the believers to do and what Jesus told us to do. He went and he took God's word, he took God's name to other places in the world and Epaphras went back to his home area in this region of Colossae, and he started a church, the Colossian church here. And uh, it, it's kind of like what happened here 11 years ago, whenever God got a hold of my heart and we started a church in Saginaw, and now we have a body of Christ that gathers all throughout the week. And Pastor Randy said it would be best called if we wrote a letter to you called Saginawians, okay? That's what he said last week. And this is what Paul is doing. He's writing to this group of believers in Colossae. And, and because they are people, uh, at this church that he's written to, there were a few problems in this church. That's not unlike any church that's, that's, that's all over the world. Because we're people, because we're flawed, because we still have a sin nature, uh, there are going to be some problems that happen in the church. And Paul's going to start this letter off, and we looked in week one. He's going to really start off by encouraging these believers. He's going to encourage them. He's going to lift them up. He's going to say, I've heard of your faith. Uh, it's, it's being made known all over the world, your faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so now he's going to start addressing a couple of the issues that they have in their church. And, and if you'll remember from some context that, that we said in the first week, if you'll remember this, Paul's going to be going to be taking just kind of some shots at the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the superpower of the world at this time. And we put this in context a few weeks back, and the United States has only been uh, on the scene for nearly 250 years. The Roman Empire was a superpower for 1,500 years. 
I mean, they had been around. And, and, and so Paul's going to start by taking a few shots at Rome in this letter because so many people in this time were, and, and believers included, those that were following Christ were included in this. They were putting their hope in the Roman Empire. They were putting their hope in Rome. Like so many people today, the people of this age were putting their hope in something other than the one true God. Many people today will put their hope in something other than the one true God. Some people will put their hope in their finances. And we know this, that our economy and the world economy is shaky at best. I mean, all it takes is for something to happen in another part of the world and the stock markets crash, right? And people's retirement can be affected. And, and, or, or, I mean, all it takes is something like that for the economy to be disturbed. And if you're putting your faith in, in the economy or you're putting your faith in your money or you're putting your trust in those kinds of things, what Paul is addressing is that that's not where you put your hope. Some people, they put their hope in their family. And we know this, that we love our families, but, but our families are also made up of people. And because they're made up of people, our families, we're going to disappoint each other from time to time. We're going to disappoint each other in our marriages from time to time. Some people will put their hope and their faith in a religious denomination, thinking that if I put my faith in this denomination, or if I even put all of my faith in a, in a particular church, that, that I'm never going to be disappointed. And we know that that's just not true. I mean, if you're putting your faith in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not rooted. You're putting your faith in, in, in something that the, that the Scripture says that, that, that it can just be washed away or that it's not stable. What we want to establish in our church is we want to see believers that are deeply rooted in Jesus Christ. That you are rooted deeply in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people will put their faith in political parties or, 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 or their faith in government. That, that that is the hope of the world. And Well, these people in this day and age, they were putting their hope in the Roman Empire. Did you know that the Roman Empire, we talked about this in week one, the Roman Empire was called the hope of the world. That's what they talked about. They would, they would, they would speak of it in those terms. The word Rome actually comes, the root word, the Greek word, it comes from this word that means strength. And so they were, they were putting their hope in Rome. And, and we established why they were putting their rope in, their, their rope. They didn't put their rope in, in home there, but they put their, their hope in Rome. We established why they were doing this. It's because the Romans were, were just prolific in advancing all over the world. They built Roman roads all over the world. They, they had something called Pax Romana, which was called the Peace of Rome. And so all of these things, they, they, they brought stability. Uh, they brought uh, world advancement of culture and all of this kind of... Uh, they made the world almost shrink because of the roads. Over 50,000 miles of roads were built within a 500-year period without any of the technology that we have today. And so they started putting their faith in Rome. People were putting their faith and their hope in Rome. And unfortunately, we know that it was something that would not last. Believers in Colossae and other parts in the world were, were buying into this mentality. They were thinking that, yes, Jesus is good, but, but he's just kind of a little bit of something that's, that's greater their faith was, was being affected greatly by their culture. It's something that happens in our culture today. It happens all of the time. Paul knew that when believers put their hope or their faith in anything other than Jesus Christ, here's, what's, here's what they're going to experience. And you just see if this isn't true in your own life. They're going to experience disappointment because you're going to be let down. They're going to experience disillusionment. 
They're going to experience despair, which leads to depression. When you put your faith and your hope in anything other than Jesus Christ, you're going to be disappointed. And Paul is trying to, to, trying to address this. So he's setting the, the tone of this great letter by pointing, pointing them back that, to the fact that Jesus himself is not just another great idea. He's not just another way of life or, or not just another kind of philosophy. He, he's trying to tell them that Jesus is not just this, this mousy, weak-looking guy that we see so often in portraits that the artists are portraying him to look like this effeminate, weak-looking white man, okay? Um, Paul is pointing them to show them that that, that is not what Jesus looks like that he's he's not something that's incomplete that needs the help of other gods little g-o-d-s to come along and to make his way complete paul's trying to point this out all right he's not just one of many religions and paul is going to take some 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 shots at this because uh, people were just kind of taking what's called syncretism they were taking bits and pieces of, of, uh, of different religions, and they, and they were mixing it kind of all together, and they were saying, this is what our faith, this is what our hope is in. So, so Paul is going to cut to the chase. I love this about Paul. He cuts to the chase. He, he confronts a group of people that are around in this area. They are known as what is called Gnostics. Okay, this group of people known as Gnostics, they said that they had some kind of secret knowledge. That it's, yes, it's Jesus but there's something more than Jesus. There's a little bit more. There's, there's a little more to spirituality than just Jesus. This is what the Gnostics were saying. And so Paul's going to take his shots at Rome. Um, he's going to take these people straight to what they needed to hear. Paul's going to be very non-politically correct, which I also love about Paul. You've got to love this. He's not going to be politically correct in this culture. He's going to speak in a very exclusive kind of way. Paul is going to say this, and this is the title of today's message today. Here's what it is. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Everything is about Jesus. Everything we've sung about today is about Jesus. Everything that our church is supposed to be about is about Jesus. If we're doing anything other than Jesus himself, then we're off track. And this is what Paul is trying to say. This this is the title of what we're talking about. Our life. Your life should be completely rooted in Jesus Christ. And if you're putting your roots and your hope in anything other than Christ, as I said, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to become disillusioned. Some of you are struggling with disappointment and disillusion this, and this morning, and, and it could be because you're, you're not rooted in Christ the way that God wants you to be. You're not deep within him. And, and, and uh, we talked in week one about why Paul's going to use this imagery of a believer being like this tree in chapter two. When we get there, you'll see it as we brought it up in week one that has deep roots. We saw in the scripture that all through God's word, that people who follow God are like this tree that has deep roots, a tree that's by the living water, that's rooted, that whenever storms come inevitably in our lives, and they will come in your life, and it's going to almost seek to blow you down and knock you down. Droughts are going to come in your life. You'd better be rooted in something that's going to last because you're all going to face storms in your life. And so Paul is saying that, that Jesus 
he's saying this about Jesus, that all of history really comes down to this, that who is Jesus and what has he done? Who's Jesus and what is his work? There are not multiple truths. There is Jesus. There are not multiple ways to get to God. There is Jesus. There are not multiple lives uh, by which you can choose to live. There is life with Jesus and there is life without Jesus. And life without Jesus is no life at all. Amen. This is what Paul is saying. It's, it's all about Jesus. Today, what we're going to seek to do in God's word is we want to catch a glimpse of who Jesus is. And in catching a glimpse of who Jesus is, we're going to catch a glimpse of who God is to us, to the world. I just feel led, if we can, just to go to the Lord, just to pause right now and go to the Lord in prayer right now. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, what we ask of you today, Lord, is the ability, the capacity, Lord, the enabling of your Holy Spirit, Father, because my words are inadequate. The enabling of your Holy Spirit within us, Lord, to, to allow us to see you for who you are, Lord. To savor who you are. To understand, Lord, more about who Jesus really is, Lord, by you showing us through your word. My words are inadequate. Father, for those, Lord, who may hear this truth today, and Lord, perhaps they just consider Jesus, Lord, maybe just a good man or a moral teacher, or maybe just one of many possible philosophies of life from a whole melting pot of all the ways of life and all the philosophies that are out there, Lord. Father, may Jesus Christ just show them today who He really is. Lord, may Jesus become bigger. May Jesus become more glorious and more compelling to those who are here this morning that are thinking this way about Jesus May He become more compelling to them than they have ever dreamed of or even imagined. And Lord, we just want to just reiterate that we love these people who may be here this morning. Lord, that there is no condemnation that comes from us or, or from our church or, or from You. Lord Jesus, You love them and because You love them first and You have loved us first, Lord, we love them and we, we just praise You today, Lord, because of this. Lord, we lift up Jesus in this place today as your word has just promised that as Jesus is lifted up, Lord, you will draw all men, women, and children unto you. We do not lift up a pastor today. We do not lift up, Lord, a church or, or our way of doing church. Lord, we lift up Jesus. We lift up Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who are already followers of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that this message that is founded upon your word would cause us to reconsider who Jesus really is to each of us in our own lives. And Lord, where we have tried to mold Jesus into an American middle class version of what we think he should be, Lord, teach us that our small view of you is just that. It's a very limited view. Lord, teach us this morning from your word how glorious Jesus really is. Teach us, Lord, about the position that Jesus rightfully should hold in each of our lives as believers because of who you are. 
Lord Jesus, You are the Creator. You are the center of all that we have, of all that we are, of all that we can do. Lord, teach us more what it means to be deeply, deeply rooted in You. You are our everything. It's all about You, King Jesus. For it is in the glorious name of Christ that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. This is our prayer today. This is our prayer I read an article about a new church that was getting started up a few years back that really just perfectly kind of encapsulated in a nutshell what our culture really, this, this culture in which we live in, this postmodern culture that we live in, what it really looks like. Uh, we said in week one kind of this Oprahization of society, and I don't even know if that's a word. We may have just made a word of it, okay? But, um, but this, this mentality that, that, that life is this great big buffet uh, or, or our spirituality is this great big buffet and you just kind of pick and choose what you want from it and, and you blend it all together, all of these things, and you just make one big conglomeration of spiritualism that appeals to you. And the parts that offend are the parts that challenge. You just disregard that. You don't take that truth on and apply it in your life. You just set it aside. Okay? And, and, and so here's what happened for this new church that was getting started. And they used market research and focus groups to get this church started. And this particular church, and I'm not going to say what, what denomination it was, but I don't want to be critical, you know, from this sense because we have stuff that we need to deal with too. I am being critical, but I, that's not my point this morning about lifting up any particular denomination. Here's the thing. Was they used focus groups and market research. This church and this denomination had designed, I want you to hear this, weekly services that deliberately de-emphasize Jesus. Deliberately de-emphasize Jesus Christ. Deliberately de-emphasize the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ. These things were to be de-emphasized within the context of their church. And the, one of the founders of the church said this, and this is one of the pastors of this church. This is what he said. Tell me that this isn't what our culture is like today. He said, the sad fact is that the name of Jesus Christ for many people has become too exclusionary. And I remember think, reading that and kind of thinking, you think? I mean, he is in the Scripture. If, if you're a, a thinking person that reads the Word of God, you'll find in the Scripture that he's called the scandalon. He's called the stumbling block. He is called, Jesus said he would be a stumbling block to the nations. Jesus said this about himself, that he's the capstone that the builders rejected. He said himself that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man may come into the Father except through him. Pretty exclusive, amen? I mean, this is what Jesus said about himself. But, but back to this church, they said, but using Hinduism, parts of Hinduism, parts of Zen, intermingled with a few verses from the Bible, and I've got to throw me some Bible in there because I want to be sure to have a little bit of Bible, uh, intermingled with a few verses of the Bible thrown in there, and this, is, this, this part kind of made me laugh in a funny way, and recorded music by Willie Nelson... The leader of this group is quoted as saying this. Here's what he said. Another quote, direct quote. He said, we are enabling people to discover God themselves, maybe through Jesus, maybe through Buddha, maybe through any number 
of ways. And I was thinking that is exactly what would lead me closer to God and spiritualism and the afterlife was me busting out on a little on the road again by Willie. And, um, you know, nothing towards helping move me towards security in my faith, you know, than a little Willie. And uh, there so... So, so basically what they're saying, and this, this is very common in our culture today, this religious pluralism of, of mixing everything together. Because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to leave anything out. Or we don't want to say that this is the way to God. And, and this is such a deliberate attack by our enemy, by, by the, our spiritual enemy, to, to say that this is the way that this must be done. And, and we talked about this. That we call, it's called syncretism. It's, talk, it's called religious pluralism and, and moral relativism. We talked about this in week one, kind of setting this whole series up, that people are kind of putting their faith in just what they want to. Not in what the real truth is, but just in whatever it is that appeals to them. And now most of us as Christ followers, we're appalled by this defamation of Christ and, and, and Christianity as we should be. But before we come down too hard on them, uh, I, I just I was thinking, you know, we honestly and, and listen, that kind of heresy should be confronted. Absolutely. But before we come down too hard upon them, I just wanted it felt like we needed to address kind of this dangerous and deadly disease that I think runs rampant in the evangelical church in America today, which has left the church oftentimes seeming dead, seeming uh, indifferent, seeming marginalized in our culture and in our society. And here's what it is. We have taken our Americanism, all right, we've taken our Western way of thinking, and we've started trying to mold Jesus into who we want him to be. Not who he really is, but we started trying to make him into what we want him to be like and what we think he should look like. And, and, and we've kind of started and what that has developed because, hey, we're, we're in the West. This is what we're about is, is, is this consumerism. And so this is what has happened in many of our churches is we've designed all of our churches. We've designed all of our services. We've moved towards this consumerism, this mentality of it being all about uh, just what everybody kind of wants rather than what we really need to hear. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and because we don't, want to, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to run anybody off. We don't want people to be confronted with what the truth is. And so this consumeristic way of thinking has infiltrated many, many churches in America. And so the mentality becomes this. Instead of calling people to faith in Christ, because that is what is going to change their life, Instead of calling people to faith in Christ, instead of calling people to repentance in their way of living and coming to Jesus Christ, instead of calling people to submission to the supremacy of Christ, many times we just begin to just kind of tell people that, you know, Jesus, all he really wants to do is just kind of give you a happy marriage. Or all Jesus wants to do is for you just to kind of live a, a stress-free life or a worry-free life and, and, uh, and just to be happy. Or, 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 and, and because let me tell you something, as, as a pastor, as a preacher, that preaches easy. Trust me. It preaches easy to preach that week in and week out. But when you are confronted with... But listen, and I am not saying that Jesus does not want you to live a full and abundant life because we know that He said that. He wants you to live a full life. And it is when you come into faith of Jesus Christ and you submit to his supremacy in your life, it is going to affect your marriage. It is going to affect the way you see the rest of the world. It's going to affect uh, your relationships. It's going to affect the way you look at money. It's going to affect your whole life. But that's where we start. 
So oftentimes we start with this other stuff of this is what all Jesus wants to do for you. So our mentality becomes, what can Jesus do for me? This consumeristic way of thinking rather than I need to yield my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we kind of get this flipped around backwards. I do believe Jesus will change all of that within us, but it starts by yielding to Christ. It starts by believers yielding their whole lives to the person of Jesus. And when we bow before Him because He is rightfully Lord, we bow before His Lordship, what's going to happen is you say, well, how does that affect my stress levels? What you're going to realize is that He is ultimately in control because He's Jesus, He's God. That even when your life feels like it's spinning out of control, He is in control. Do you see what I'm saying? That whenever we begin to yield to Him in this sense, and, and so instead of asking, what can Jesus do for me? We need to move to this mentality of, am I living my life in light of the Lordship of who Jesus is? In light of His Lordship. You don't make Jesus Lord of your life. Jesus is Lord. The question is, will you submit to His Lordship? You see what I'm saying? You don't make Him Lord. You, you, don't, you don't get to choose whether Jesus is Lord over this world. He is Lord. The Bible says that every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. Your choice is, will you bow your knee now on this side in God's grace, or will you bow your knee on the other side in God's wrath? You see, the grace time has been extended to us at this point. And so Jesus, yes, he definitely will change our lives. But what happens in our culture is is we we just kind of take a little bit of Jesus and add him to our lives. I'll just add Jesus to this part of my life. And we compartmentalize our lives. And we say, this is my work life. This is my sex life. This is my relationship life. This is this part of life. Okay, And, and, and this is my Jesus part of my life. Paul is going to confront this, and he's going to say, no, that's, that's not what we're about. If, if your life is kind of like this compartmentalized pie, so to speak, you know, uh, and, and your pie, this pie kind of represents your whole life, and you've got all these different pieces of the pie, and Jesus is just one more little piece of the pie here. And, and, and listen, what Paul is saying is, no, Jesus makes up the whole pie. Now, I'm pretty sure Pastor Randy's going to use this as an excuse to go eat pie after this because I brought up Mexican food a few weeks ago, and he blamed that on me last week, okay? If you weren't here last week, you don't know what I'm talking about, and so I'm sorry, you can, you can listen online. But, but this brings us up, but Jesus, Jesus is in the whole mix, should be in the whole mix of every part of our life, not just an added portion of your life. He should be in the whole mix, which just brings us to where we left off in Colossians uh, uh, last week even. Much of the false teaching that was taking place in Colossae had to do with this, the minimizing of Jesus. Many people thought that Jesus was important, but not essential. Doesn't that sound like our culture today? That he's important, but not completely essential. And so um, many people would say that, yes, he's an important guy. There'd be people, if you were to go out in Saginaw or Fort Worth or Keller or any of these areas, Haslett, and you were to start asking people what they thought about Jesus, what do you think about People would tell you, many people would say, yes, he's my Savior. Um, a lot of people would say, no, he's not my Savior, but I, I do think he's an important figure on the, on the world history scene there. Or, or he was a really good guy. 
or he had really good teachings, or, or this is something good we should take from this, and we can learn this from him. If people were to be intellectually honest and say that kind of stuff, they would, or, or be asked that question, they would oftentimes say this. And what was going on in Colossae is that Jesus was prominent to them. He was prominent to them, but he was not, as the Word of God says, he was not preeminent, which means that he supersedes everything. So Paul was going to refute some misconceptions that the Colossians had. These false teachers taught this, that God did not create the world because in their view, and this is their messed up way of thinking, all physical matter was evil. And therefore God could not have created it because God would not create evil. Here was another misconception that they had. Believers, or many of these false teachings that were going out, believing that matter was evil or that all physical matter was evil, Um, They argued that God would not have come to earth as a human in bodily form. This is an argument against the doctrine of what is called incarnation. Uh, When Jesus became man and he lived a sinless, perfect life, they argued against this and said this couldn't be, okay? And so this was one of the things that they said. And so, again, Jesus is a good guy, but, but, you know, he, he he never really became fully man here. So uh, here's another thing that they were uh, that they were struggling with. They did not believe that Christ was the unique son of God, but rather just one of many intermediaries between God and people. Do you see how similar our cultures are? Just rather just one way. You just kind of pick what's what's good for you. Okay. now let's look in the word together. Colossians chapter one. We're going to read verses 15 through 23 this morning. There's no way we'll get through all of this, but we're just going to take what we can get to. Okay. Let's look in, uh, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. Here's what the Word of God says. Christ, all right, so there's no question about who we're talking about right here. In some of your versions, it will say the Son, S-O-N. That's Jesus, okay? Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see. That's the physical matter, right? That these people were saying God could not have created physical matter. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. He's talking about spiritual stuff there, that he made even all of these things. He's not subject to those things. He made them all. And and look at this. It goes on and it says, everything was created through him and for him. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about Jesus, right? Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And and I love this. And he holds all. All creation together, even when our world seems like it's falling apart and, and, and an earthquake causes the world to rock off its axis, he's holding everything together. This is what it says about his power, who he is. Christ, now it's going to go on and talk about him being over the church, is also the head of the church. Not only, only is he the head of, of creation and the creator of creation, but he's the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So will you say this, just this next sentence with me, because this is what he should be in our lives. What is he? So he is first in everything for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. 
Now, now what we've just talked about here is who Jesus is. Now Paul's going to begin to transition this into what his work was. Who is he? And now what has he done? Look at what he says in the next part. He says, and through him, this is his work, through him, that's Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. It goes on and it says this, he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ. The blood on the cross. You cannot de-emphasize Jesus. You can't take out the cross. You can't take out the blood of Jesus. Look at what Paul is saying. He says this. Now, now let this speak to you. This includes you. He reconciled. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies. Separated from him by your evil thoughts. And actions. Yet now he has done what? He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ. Look at what he says. In his physical body. His physical body. As a result. So you've got who he is. You have the result of his work. or, or, Or the work that he's done. Now you have the result of his work. Here's what he says right here. He says, as a result, he has done what? He has brought you into his own presence And now this is who you are. If you are in Jesus Christ, this is who you are. Isn't this good right here? And you are what? Say it with me. What are you? You are holy. Did you know that about yourself? Because of Jesus, you're holy. You know what that means? That means you're set apart. That's that Greek word, hagios. It means to be set apart. What does it say? It says you are blameless. Are we able to make ourselves blameless? Absolutely not. We don't have anything good in us, do we? He says, you're holy, you're blameless, and this is how you stand now before God because of Jesus. You stand before him without a single fault. We certainly, we don't deserve that, do we? But you must continue. Here's your response. You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Be rooted in this. Stand firmly in this. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news, that word good news, that's, that's what the gospel is. It's euangelion, it's gospel, the good news. Here's what it means. He has, this good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Now again, there's no way to get through and break down every part of this. But I just felt led. Let's look in verse 15. We're going to spend just a couple of minutes in verse 15. Go back to verse 15 and here's what verse 15 says. What it says is this, that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Will you read that first part with me? Let's say it out loud together. Christ is what? Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Let's just stop right there and let's break that down. Because what this is right here, this is great news. I was talking with some friends last night and they were asking me what I was preaching about today. And that's never a good question to ask a preacher on a Saturday night. Because what that means is he's going to try his stuff out on you on that night. And so they, they asked me, what are you preaching on tomorrow morning? And I told them. And I told them. And I said, I'm preaching on Christ being the visible image of the invisible God. And my son, Luke, he was there and he said, well, that's confusing. What does that mean, Dad? And I said, that is also a question you don't want to ask if you are. So, uh, and so I took the time to say, let me tell you what that means. This is great news. He's the visible image, the visible image of the invisible God. When it comes to God, what I want you to catch this morning is this. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know what God is like, if 
you want to know what his tone is like, if you want to know how God behaves, if you want to know how God feels, how God responds to things, then you don't have to speculate on what you think God would be like. This is great news for us. You don't have to just kind of say, well, this is what I think he would be like. You don't have to play games and and speculate. You actually can find out what God really is like. What you do is you study, you look at, and you watch the life of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. We look at Jesus, and this is what Paul is saying. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You could just follow the life of Christ and say, this is what you learn about God's nature. This is what you learn about about his character by looking at Christ. And, And so, listen, this morning we're not saying that Jesus is just a symbol of God. We're not saying that he's a symbol, like my my wedding band here is a symbol of me being married. Okay, Um, uh, we're not saying that he's just a symbol. This this Greek word is the word icon, Uh, this word image. It's the Greek word icon. And what it means, it means his likeness. It means a manifestation of it means an exact replica of in that culture. This is what this means. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. This is what Paul is addressing. He's the precise copy because he is God himself. He's not just just kind of like God, or he's not godly, he's God. This is what this means right here. And so I just thought this week we would just take a couple of minutes and whatever time we have left this morning, I just kind of felt like we needed to take a few minutes to think about who he is. I'll have believers that will come to me and say, Pastor Barn, I'm spiritually dry, or I'm struggling spiritually, or I feel spiritually numb is a word that I've been hearing over a lot of the last, last year or so. And, and I, I just was thinking about this this week, that if that is you, that you are categorized maybe in that, in that area this morning by saying, I'm just, I feel dry. And what I just felt this week was God was saying, show them, who, show them who I am. Show them who Jesus is. When you start looking at Jesus again, you start seeing Jesus for who he is, not, not what you've or, or what I've tried to make him look like, but when you start looking at who Jesus is, then, then you're going to fall in love again with him. You're going to fall in love with who he is, what he's done. Your result, uh, the result of this is going to be magnificent. Some may say that, you know, there's, there, I'm just scared because of everything that's going on in our world. Or I, I'm anxious in my own life or I feel worried or all the time. And, I, and those of you that maybe that's you this morning, you need to look at Jesus this morning. And you need to see who Jesus really is. So what do we see whenever we... When we look at the person of Jesus, what do we see? If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus does this. What Jesus shows us, and this is the first thing, Jesus shows us that God is merciful. That's the first thing you can write down. That God is merciful. When we look at, when we look at Jesus and you look at who He is, the first thing we know about God, whenever we see in Jesus, we know this about God, that God's merciful. He's filled with mercy. We sang about it this morning. We know that God is merciful because... We can just look at Jesus over and over again, extending mercy to those who were clearly guilty. Those that were absolutely guilty. I'll give you an example of this this morning. In John chapter 8, you don't have to turn there. You can look at it maybe a little later this week if you want. In John chapter 8, though, what we see is we see uh, this example of God's mercy in the person of Jesus. There was a woman. She was caught in the act of adultery. And she's dragged in front of a group of people at the temple. Now, I just wanted to say, can you imagine what this would be like? Jesus is teaching. This woman is caught in a sin. 
Uh, by the way, the man was nowhere to be found, okay? So apparently he got away from this deal. But they brought this woman in, or who knows, maybe they set her up, maybe he, because they were going to set her up, because they were trying to set Jesus up, and I don't know, I can speculate all day long about this, but, but can you imagine as I'm just in here preaching the Word of God, someone busts through these doors, and they, they bring this woman, they interrupt everything, they throw her down in front of us this morning, and they say, this woman was caught doing whatever, okay? This is what's happening. Jesus is bringing the Word. He's talking to people and, and, and sharing with them about who God is and all of this and they they interrupt and they take this woman who was caught in the act of adultery we don't even know if she was clothed uh, or anything they they may have thrown her down naked in front of all of these people and these religious leaders had caught him and they caught her and they said this to jesus they said teacher the law of moses says this that we should take rocks we should stone this woman jesus what do you say about this can you imagine if this happened, this scene in here this morning? What do you say about this? So the Bible starts giving us all these strange little details. <laughs> this is interesting if you read this passage of Scripture. Look at it this week. It says that Jesus stoops down. And he's teaching there. And he begins to just take his finger and he's drawn in the dirt. Okay? And, and all these people are watching him. They're looking at this woman. I imagine she is sobbing uncontrollably. She's embarrassed. She's probably battered. They probably slapped her around. And she's down there in front of him. And he starts drawing in the dirt. And everybody's waiting for him. Maybe he's going to respond. Maybe he's going to take rocks first. And he's going to pelt her. You know, uh, Who knows what he's going to do. And he's riding in the dirt. And people, people kind of speculate on what Jesus may have been riding in the dirt. Some say that maybe he was riding the religious leaders sins in the dirt you know and they were seeing that some some have said maybe he was writing the religious leaders girlfriends names in the sin because they were so hypocritical he may have been drawing a picture of a pony we don't know what he was drawing but he was drawing something down there okay and 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 this is what's going on and he says this and every ear heard this he says yes that's what the scripture says and then he says this this is our god But let the one of you who is without sin, you throw the first stone. They they were ready to stone her. They already had rocks in their hands. You know this? Because the Bible says that the eldest, from the eldest to the youngest, the eldest dropped their stones first and walked off. And only Jesus and the woman were left there. And, And the God of the universe, listen to this. The God of the universe, he picks up this woman's face in such a tender way. He picks up her face. He looks in her eyes. He says, where are they? Where are all your accusers? Where have they gone? Has no one condemned you? And then the God of the universe says this to this woman. She says, no, Lord, nobody is here. He says, Neither do I go and sin no more. Wow. That's our Jesus. That's our God. That's the God of the universe. A God that demonstrates grace. A God that demonstrates mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve um, a God that, that demonstrates a kindness, as Romans declares, a kindness that leads to repentance. That's our God. 
And the thing that is so weighty about that text in John, and I hope you'll catch this today, is the fact that she is guilty. She's been busted. She's involved in immorality and sin. She's caught in the act of it. And the law definitely condemns her. It's not as though there is a question of her guilt. She's caught in the act and the law is clear. And and Jesus, in the face of this, extends mercy in the midst of blatant guilt. That's our God. A God who is merciful. So so when we what we learn about the Father by watching the Son is that the Father is merciful. He certainly is the judge. You realize Jesus was the only one who could have cast a stone on that day because he had no sin. He could have done this, but he did not. And and and, and what we have so often in, in our mind now he is judged, but what we find is not only that he is judged, but a person who is completely in a place of not being able to do anything for themselves, he serves as advocate for them. He's he's her advocate. He not only does this with individuals, but you'll find this kind of mercy extended to whole cities, whole regions. And, 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 and he talks about Jerusalem like this. And in the midst of their utter rejection of him and their rebellion toward God, he extends mercy. What I want you to catch today is that this is a far, far cry from the God in the heavens that we get this, this picture painted of so often with this lightning bolt in hand just waiting to zap anybody who's guilty blow up anyone who refuses to obey what we do see is we see we see images of his wrath if you look at jesus you'll see images of god's wrath and you know what the images of god's wrath is his wrath is taken out upon pretenders his wrath is taking out is taken out upon hypocrisy the religious elite that were living in hypocrisy uh, those that were taking advantage of the disadvantaged you'll see the wrath of god whenever places where jesus will drive those kinds of people out of the temple and he'll turn over the tables as they were preventing people from coming to god that's when you'll see God's wrath. But, but what we see is this image of God extending mercy over and over again. He would extend mercy to tax collectors that were despised by the rest of, the, of society. He would extend his mercy to prostitutes that no one would, would, would extend any kind of love or mercy to. They only took advantage of them. You would see this extension of mercy to the sinners. He said, I came to save and to seek those who are lost. So over and over again, in the face of blatant guilt blatant shame, blatant disregard for the things of God. Jesus' response is mercy. That's what it is over and over. So what do we know about God? When we look at Jesus, we know that he's, he's quick to extend grace and mercy. Sometimes even to those that don't even ask for it. He extends this to us. We see that those who receive Jesus, they receive this. The first thing is mercy. And what that may mean for some of you, you say, well, what does that mean for me today? How does that affect me today? What it may mean for some of you today is that your image of God has been this idea of this angry old man that sits up on this throne who's distant from you and has, doesn't want to have anything to do with you. He always has a big scowl and frown on his face and he's waiting for you to mess up. And so your image of God may be that he could never accept you. That he would never love someone like you because you, you are maybe guilty of some sin and you're thinking there's some sin in your past that he could never forgive you of. Or maybe there's some immorality that you have been involved in or, or, or some idolatry or some kind of sin. And we're all sinners, the Word of God says. Maybe there's been some addiction that you're wrestling with now or that you were struggling with in the past and you're thinking he could never love me. 
He could never reach down into the midst of this filth that's in my life. I'm not good enough for Jesus. You're right, you're not. But He still has mercy upon you. This is the God of the universe. Maybe you've had this mentality that God could never forgive you because your sins are too great. And Paul is saying Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. What we clearly see is that God is a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of forgiveness. You find it really interesting that that's what we sang about today. I'm, I'm sweating bad today, aren't I? Preaching, preaching the Jesus today makes you sweat, okay? And uh, what we clearly see is that he's a God of grace and mercy. Here's another thing. Jesus shows us this about God, that God is compassionate. I want you to see this this morning, that as Jesus is compassionate, this is the, the visible image of the invisible God. There, there are so many stories of compassion when you read the Gospels. Where, where he reaches out and he touches people like, like those who were greatly sick, like the lepers. He reaches out and he, he touches them. They were the outcast of society. This thing of leprosy it was this horrible skinned disease. And, the, and, and what we find by reading the scriptures is that nobody wanted to touch them. Nobody wanted to ever even be around them. And, and so there was this rule that whenever they were around people who were not infected with this horrible disease, that they were required to, to yell this out. How would you like this if you were the person who was sick like this? That you had to yell out, not, hey, I'm sick, you might want to get away from me because you might you know, catch this, it's contagious. Not that, but you had to yell out, unclean, Unclean, how would you like to do that, you know? I'm unclean, everyone, I am filthy, get away from me! You know, that you had to yell this out. This is, this is what these people were required to yell out because of a disease that was no fault of their own. This is what happened for these folks. They had no human contact whatsoever. And, and, and I want you to see that this is an example of this. This is, this is modern-day leprosy in places like India, parts of India that are still underdeveloped. There are leper colonies that are there. And, and this is what I'm talking about. Go ahead and take that image off because that's all that, they'll, that, that I would look at, okay, is that. Is, and, and I don't want to ruin your appetite today, but let me just tell you about this, okay? Here's the deal. I was thinking about this this week. What would that be like? What would it be like to have something like that? Where you were such an outcast and you didn't even do anything. You just got sick. But you were treated as being an outcast. You had no human contact. I was thinking, what, what could that have felt like? What would it be like? And, 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 and I'm just going to make this kind of gross confession to you today, okay? Um, and, and again, I'm probably about to ruin your appetite here. But about six or seven years ago, I got, I got this thing called, and some of you know what this is, I got this thing called MRSA. Does anybody know what that is? It is a bacteria that will mess you up, all right? It is a super bug, so to speak, and, and it, it will mess you up. And I don't know how I got this. I was working out a lot at this gym, some, some kind of thing you can get in places like that, in locker rooms. It happens to football teams where it kind of spreads among the whole team. And, and, uh, and I was working out a lot at this time, and, and, I, and I got this, okay? And, and I'm just going to tell you, this is gross, okay? So get ready. And, and it manifested itself in me by me getting these boils on my skin, Okay, and uh, and I'm not talking about like a little little acne or something, a little pimple. I'm talking about something that would just gross you out. It was disgusting, but it wasn't my fault. 
I, I, I got this on my skin, and, 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 and here I am having to get up and, and preach to people, and I've got this on my skin, and I'm dealing with this. And, and I don't even know if any of you saw this, but, but I had one on my hip. I got one on my stomach. I had one on my leg, down on my calf. Uh, and this is real exciting. I got one on the back of my head. I was starting to feel like the elephant man, okay? Uh, and it was just a horrific thing that happened to me at this point. I mean, it was, it was disgusting. I felt horrible about myself. It was gross. I mean, nothing will make you want to get up and preach in front of people uh, more than when you have a big boil on the back of your head, okay? My head had its own head is what I felt like, okay? It was disgusting. It was sick. And, uh, and, and my, my uh, family started looking at this, and, and you know, and I had this freak show boil on the back of my head and this big one that was the size of a baseball on my hip. That's, that's appetizing, right? Okay, right there. And my mother and my wife said, have you gone to the doctor about that? And we men, what do we do? Nah, it, it'll go away or whatever. And so I didn't go to the doctor like a fool. My mother and my wife said, you're going to the doctor today. We went to the emergency room and I went in there and, uh, and, and uh, it's never a good thing whenever the doctor looks at what you have there and he's like, oh, hey, and man, you are, you're jacked up. Um, I don't think he said you're jacked up, but it was the look that he had. And he's like, oh, yeah. And I mean, that really made me feel real appealing to my wife at that point. You know, I had this stuff on my on my on my skin. And, uh, you know, and, and here's the deal. By the way, I don't have that anymore. So I don't need to yell out unclean. Run from me when you see me in the hallway. OK, or whatever. But I had this and 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 I didn't even want to touch myself. It was so gross, okay? You know what I'm saying? I, I was like, I didn't want anybody to touch me or anything. And, and this is something that went away. Again, you saw kind of the picture of, of, of a leper in India. And you see, they, they didn't just have like a little bit of acne. I mean, this, the digits on their hands were falling off. Toes were falling off. Their face was disfigured. And here's the thing about our God. You see, Jesus, when he encountered them, he could have been like, I'm not touching these guys, but you're healed from a distance, okay? You're healed. You can go on your way, okay? You know what the Scripture deliberately says about our God? Got close to them when no one else would. And what did he do? He put his hands on them. He touched them. And I think the balm of healing not only happened for them physically at that point, because they felt so disgusted probably about themselves and what had happened to them and the way people were treating them as something as if they had done something wrong. And now Jesus is saying, I accept you. I put my hands on you. I, uh, I'll touch you in this way when no one else will. Jesus, in his compassion, he touched them. And this is our God. The scripture describes him as the God of all compassion the gospel tells us about him i got i got to wrap this up okay but here's what it tells us the gospel tells us that he healed the sick that he restored sight to the blind that he made the crippled people whenever he would come in contact with them they'd say heal me jesus says that he would heal them he would touch them and i could go on and on one story about jesus that touches my heart is how he reached into the grief of mary and martha when they lost their brother lazarus 
And they said, Jesus, come. He's sick. You can heal him. And he said, his sickness is not going to be one that ends in death, but in the glory of God. And we know physically he died. He was in the grave for four days. Jesus shows up on the scene. And they come to him and they're like, Jesus, why? Why didn't you do something about this? And you know what blows me away about this story about Jesus? Was Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead. But you know what it tells us about our God? It says this. It says that the shortest verse in the Bible says that when Jesus saw the grief of Mary, when he saw the grief of the mourners, when he saw the grief of those who were around, even though with the knowledge that he was going to raise him from the dead, it tells us this about our God. It says that Jesus wept. He wept. For some of you this morning, there's, there's a lot of grief in your life. You're struggling with grief and you're struggling with... What this tells us about our God is He is in the midst of your grief. He's with you through this. You are not by yourself with this. Uh, If you're struggling with some kind of hurt, some kind of loss, some kind of illness or disease, or maybe some of you, you feel like you're the outcast, or maybe some of you, you feel like you're not accepted. It shows us that He's for you. He's for you. He has compassion upon you. And I could just keep going on and on and on about Jesus, uh, about what it shows us about God. It shows us that He's all-powerful. When you look and you see that He calms the, the storm and the waves by the spoken word, He's over that part of the world. He speaks and the storm cease, ceases. He, he walks on water. He's over the, the laws that are, that are physical laws in our universe. He, I mean, you could just keep going on and on about Jesus. Think about the story of, of the, the demonic man that comes to Jesus. He's filled with demons. He comes to Jesus, and, and, when, and, and whenever Jesus comes upon him, he falls to the ground. And, and it says, if you read that story, man, anybody that came upon him, he was whipping them, and they couldn't do anything. But whenever Jesus comes on the scene, this man falls to the ground, and the, the demons cry out within this man, Jesus, have you come to destroy us? We get this mindset because Hollywood paints this picture Like, here's good and the troops of good, and here's evil and the troops of evil, and whoever has more at the end, that's who's going to win. Okay? The Scripture doesn't say anything like this. It says that the demons, when they came in His presence, they said, Are you going to destroy us? They were subject to Him. That's what Paul is saying. Jesus says to them, Tell me your name. They say, legion, for we are many. The demons start to say, I mean, they don't, they don't like look up at Jesus and say, let's do this thing. It's on. I mean, it's nothing like that. It says, just cast us into these pigs over here. Just don't destroy us. You know the story. He casts them into the pigs that are grazing. They run off into the cliff. And what I'm trying to show you is that Jesus not only is compassionate and he's merciful, and he's all these things. What I'm trying to just give you a glimpse of is that he's all-powerful. This is our God. This is who he is. You read in the, in the Gospel of John, you see that the soldiers that came to take him away in the Garden of Gethsemane, they said, who, Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And all he says is, I am he. The Scripture says they all fell to the ground. You see who Jesus is? He is God. I don't have time to read this other passage here. But it says Christ is a visible image 
of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. And is supreme over all creation. This is who He is. What I hope this does is it just kind of blows your mind today. That this God who is the Creator, who is over all, who is, has created everything, that this God right here, He is the same God who wants to have a relationship with you. That he, that he came for the purpose of paying for your sin. He's the same God. He wants, he wants to have a relationship with insignificant me. Paul is saying right here in the get-go, it's all about Jesus. What this should say to you this morning is this. Is that this Jesus, this kind of Jesus, demands our complete submission to who he is. Not just a part of our life. Not, not just he's just a little addition to our life that we just maybe once a week by maybe coming to a service or what that that's all no he demands he deserves every bit of your life every breath of your life this is who he is I love this let's pray together Jesus deserves to be the center the center of your life came to be your savior scripture tells us he came to reconcile us back to god because we were separated from god because of our sin it even describes us as being the enemies of god did you see that now when we see that we might think i'm an enemy of god god hates me no he first loved you so much that he came for you we're the ones that are often god haters He's merciful. Can you as a believer just thank Him for that right now as your head is bowed before Him? Oh God, thank You for Your mercy in my life. He's gracious. He's loved me with an unwarranted love. The Scripture says He loved me first. He loved me first and I don't deserve it. If you've never trusted Him, The Bible says He's already paid for your sins. When He came down as God, became a man as we are, but He lived a sinless life. And He took all of our sins on Him when He went to the cross. The Scripture tells us that He who knew no sin became sin. All the horror of our sin placed upon the innocent one. That in His grace, that if you believe in Him today and you place your faith in Him, He will save you and rescue you. And you will be made blameless, without fault, the Scripture says. You can just call upon Him right now. You don't have to walk down the aisle. You don't have to come shake my hand or talk to me. I'd be glad for you to do that because I'd love to just talk with you more about that but where you are call upon him to save you he'll save you those of you who are believers question have you yielded your life to him he deserves all of you not just part of you many of us we just needed to be reminded of who Jesus is and I've just barely even touched on it you need to be reminded of what he's done 
If your faith has grown stale or dry, you need to look at Jesus this morning. I want to just compel you. I want to beseech you. Read the Gospels. See who God is. What He's like. Read the Gospels. Father, we love you. Oh God, thank you for saving us. We pray, Lord, this morning that your word would take root in our lives. We need to be changed, Lord, by you, not us trying to mold you and shape you into what we think you should look like. And forgive us when we've done that, God. You are the King. You are Lord. You are the Savior. And Lord, you have been exalted on this day. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.